Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. As believers, we have to differentiate the difference between how we make a living and our life. How we make a living can change. They say the average American changes every three to five years their career. My identity is not in how I make a living. That's just how I'm making a living. My life is about being a born-again son of Jesus. Welcome to The Calling. I'm Richard Clark, an editor for Christianity Today. As a lead pastor of Blueprint Church in Atlanta, Dehati Lewis has spent a lot of time thinking about the nature of his pastorate. For Lewis, it ultimately comes down to discipleship. He's thought a bit about boundaries, but he doesn't plan to really rest until each and every follower of Christ has joined his church as being disciples. And he's got a plan. In fact, he's got a whole system, complete with cards up on a board in his office. If you're a member of his church, there's a pretty good chance you'll see your name up there when you go in for a counseling session. For Dehati, it's all part of a call to make disciples and to love his brothers and sisters in Christ as a pastor. On today's episode of The Calling, I talked to Dahadi about how pastoring is like coaching, why he decided to plant a church in Atlanta, and what kind of boundaries actually make sense for a full-time minister. And here's the uh, interview with Dahadi Lewis. interesting because i mean one of my favorite things was i I love i'm a huge basketball fan Mm -hmm. i'm a huge sports guy but basketball i mean a couple of things i would say is there's any kind of sporting event Mm -hmm. like just going and it's specifically basketball sporting event like i was a season ticket holder at the hawks but even beyond that i mean i just like love going and watching aau basketball on the weekends my girls play aau basketball and so just going and watching them play and seeing the different teams and how things are organized um, well, I have six kids. I have three, my three older girls. Um, I have a 14, a 13, and a, um 11. Wow. Yeah. And then I got three boys, yeah. 10, 9, and 8. Three younger boys. Three younger boys. So they that got. That's interesting. Yeah. So I said, I mean, they got four moms. You know what I'm saying? And so they got three older sisters that act like their moms, and then they got their moms. So, so I, I have a son. Okay. He's, he's two years old. Okay. And. We're about to have another one. Mm. We don't know what it is yet. I mean, I say about to. It's do, in February. Do you want to know? So, you yeah, definitely want to know. Okay. But I'm like terrified to have a girl because it's so much to hold in your head at once. It's like mm. it's a whole different track brain-wise. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it really is. So, the idea of having three of each yeah. is a lot. But, it, you know, I'm glad and I'm grateful God gave me a girl first. Yeah. And three girls at that, I was like, I cried after my second one. I was just like, oh, Lord, all I produce is girls. And like, <laughs> you know, because I come from this sports family. And uh-huh. It's about sports. And I was like, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? But I'm so glad because God softened my heart. Yeah. Um, you know, so I needed it. Yeah. yeah and they it. like sports, it sounds and like. And they love sports. Yeah. So I just like, I just <laughs> helped them out. It was just like, I don't think they had a choice. It was just kind of more of kind of guided them. Right. Way. Yeah. Just like, this is cool. Check it yeah, out. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know. So I do all types of things to help that motivation. Awesome. So every uh, every podcast, we start off with uh, this question. How would you define your calling? It's interesting that you would say that. One of the, I would define it in two ways. Okay. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I think one, uh, my calling would be, I want to be a part of helping to be the last generation mm-hmm. that has to leave the urban context for sound discipleship. Mm. I mean, I think that has been my, that's the number one thing that has driven my call and and I think that has a lot to do with my story and my background and may or may not go into that. But I mean, it's just, it's more about like the short of it is, is that I spent so much of my life, my born again life. I came to know the Lord late in life or late meaning 20. Um, and, but I didn't have any background and I just wanted to be discipled. I learned about discipleship and I wanted to be discipled and no one was willing to do that in, in, the, in the context that I was in. And so I was just like, man, Lord, I just want to be the last generation that has to experience what I'm experiencing. Can you say more about that, like the, the times you did try and seek out discipleship in that context? Well, it was just like the, not having categories. And so like the short of it is, is that when I came to know the Lord, I was in college, I was a football player, all these things. And mm. so I didn't, 
you know, I got around for the first time Christian friends. Yeah. Right. And I got a scholarship to the University of North Texas. I met a guy and he introduced me to these believers. And it was just like, man, you have like they would talk about in this normal conversation, things like Samson and Delilah, mm-hmm. David and Goliath. And I was like, who are these people? Yeah. Because I, I, <laughs> I didn't have a framework. I was like, who are these people you guys are talking yeah. to? But every time. I would hear someone, a biblical character, a biblical reference. I would go back and I would read it. Right. You know, it's like, I need to catch up in the story. And so for me, I was like in spiritual tour days. I had like two uh, times a day. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I need to keep studying because I feel like all Christians know their their Bible. Yeah. And so I would go to different studies like Campus Crusade for Christ, InterVarsity. I mean, I would go to all these different store, um, these different Bible studies. Yeah. And, and then I started hearing at these Bible studies things like um, – discipleship, evangelism. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, I know my friends love the Lord, but they're not talking about these things. Mm-hmm. Were you going to a church at this point? Um, you know, I was, yeah, I was in, I was in a church. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was in church. But it was like, but the thing was, is like, it was about kind of, you know, Christianity was to, in these circles that I were in, don't go to the club, don't drink, don't have sex outside of marriage. Uh, it was all the don't do's. Right. And I was like, man, a little reactive. God was calling us actually to do something more proactive. Sure, yeah. Then it was about evangelism, discipleship. So I was just like, man, you guys need to come and learn the stuff that I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And so I started hearing about a framework of that. We need to do discipleship. You need to be discipled and make disciples and all that. You know. Then I started saying, man, I didn't want. I want somebody to disciple me. Mm-hmm. And so I had some people early on, but then as I started, just like, man, wanting to hear more, it was just like it was either two camps. I was either around a group of people who understood my context. Mm-hmm. But they didn't have the same commitment to discipleship and theology. Or I was around a group of people who understood the theology, but they didn't understand my context. And it just kind of felt like no one was there to help disciple me. And so we talked about doing something that was both culturally relevant, but also doctrinally sound. Yeah. And that was missionally engaged. I was about disciple making. And that was really talking about my call to ministry. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a call, it was a call primarily to discipleship and disciple making. And so I would say that was the first kind of call and what drove everything. Um, about that is just like want to be the last generation that has to leave the urban context for yeah. sound discipleship. Yeah, I said the second one is it's more of the idea of um, influencing the influencers. If okay. that was kind of my own personal mission statement, it would be about influencing influencers and how do we go about doing that. And I think that just comes from my again my sports background. You know, I mean, I grew up playing quarterback my life. Coach, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. coach. I yeah. grew up around it. I was always kind of the player captain, you know, and I was always one of those types of people. And then, like, even in basketball, I was like a, a pass first point guard. Like I uh-huh. was, you know, and that was my thing. I love to give people assists and give people uh-huh. scoring and all that. And so. You know, when it kind of translated into my walk in, in Christ, it was just like, man, I love seeing people fulfilling what God has called them, their purpose, their yeah. design, and filling in that. And so I talk about influencing the influencers. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not real good. I don't like trying to motivate people from like if you don't have one anything to do with the Lord. I like I'm like that's just <laughs> not I'm like I don't I don't want to try to rah rah and get you right. trying. But for those who are influencers who are in, yeah. Who are like I love to help them. That's so interesting. That. It's how how tied to your sports background that is cuz yeah. you can't you can't make someone who doesn't want to play football like get excited right. and good at football. Right. But if they're in and they're like coach tell me what to do, yeah. you can like make them succeed. Yeah. And if they're willing to put the work in and they right. So it's a, so I mean it obviously it's not like I can you know, kind of omit that part of my life. I still have to try to preach the gospel and get people to get excited about the Lord. But what you're talking about, personal mission statement, it's like that's the the thing that gets me excited Yeah, is where I get a chance to influence already influencers. Yeah. So, yeah. When was the moment that those two things, or maybe they're individual, individual stories, but, like, when was the moment that that clicked for you? Like, what made you realize that that was your calling? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, one was, you know, one time was a guy, James Roberson, my good, one of my best friends, uh, who was a pastor in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. He, basically, we we had a similar story, and there was another guy that was a part, and, and we all had these similar stories, and we were just kind of just sitting around, just like, man, like, it was like, what can we do about not our inability to find someone to disciple us, yeah, and how can we use what we're doing you know, with the platform that God has given us. And I think it was at that moment. And um, we ended up, um, he ended up moving from, he at the time was in Raleigh. He ended up moving to Denton, Texas, where I was. And and we basically started what we called a ministry called Plumb Line. 
And um, and it was there that we both got a chance to influence the influencers and get a chance to basically try to begin this journey of becoming the last generation yeah. that has to leave the urban context. So what was Plumline? Plumline was a college ministry that we had at Denton okay. Bible Church. I was out of, it was Denton Bible Church Pastor Tom Nelson. He brought me on staff and I it was there that I it was re, right after graduation I was a student at Dallas Theological Seminary as I was going to seminary we started this ministry mm-hmm. and it was literally as I was getting stuff in seminary I would take it back and yeah you know apply it to to the college context okay so um one of the things that's weird about your story is this mass of people that goes from Denton to Atlanta like that's a part of your story yeah. is bringing I think your bio on, on your church website says you brought 20 other people mm-hmm. with you to Atlanta from Denton Texas yeah. and the repercussions of that are clear like if you name some of those people so can you name some of those people that came with you yeah I mean it was it was December 15 2007 that a group of us made a commitment to leave Denton, right. Texas and it was 25 at the time but that number came into being 40 people. wow um and I mean, it was just all different types of people. A lot of them were people who came to know the Lord in our ministry and yeah. people who were, you know, who at some point were discipled by us, lived in our house, you know, did different programs that we have. And mm-hmm. so out of that group, I mean, it was, I mean, people like my brother mm-hmm. was a part of that group and um, he's uh, was a part of Reach Records, a guy named Show Baraka. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my blood brother. Um, wow, and so he yeah. um, was a part, he came, mm-hmm. I mean, um, we we at the time reach records and a lot of people were there mm-hmm. um, like Lecrae and all them came to know the Lord and they were actually in Memphis and they came mm. and they was just like man we want to relocate reach records in Atlanta and so if we come mm-hmm. we would you know come apart and they were a part of the early church panel him and like Ben Washer and you know and those guys and obviously my wife came so mm-hmm. Angie mm-hmm. and you know uh, my mom yeah. uh, moved and then there was other like Damon John yeah. Anwuchekwa yeah. and Sean John Anwuchekwa who are now pastor lead pastors at um, he's a lead pastor at a Cornerstone right um, what was it what was it about Atlanta that that so many people wanted to go there well I mean we were I was from the west I'm from LA mm-hmm. um, I was going to school in the south mm-hmm. in in Texas and, and I don't know if you've ever been to Texas but I knew I wanted to get out of Texas I went once yeah. and I went to where was um, I think it was Dallas yeah Dallas okay is that so, the north North Texas the DFW Metroplex I think that's Dallas it. Fort Worth everything's real big in yeah, Dallas yeah and that's and that's kind of and then you know and every like they brainwash people in Dallas. I don't know if you ever have you ever talked to somebody. It's it's a weird surreal experience being in Dallas. Like I, I was there for like two days for a conference, and it was just weird. I think the first thing that they teach you is that Texas can succeed out of, and like we're a nation, one one nation yeah. that can. We're the only nation that can come out of uh-huh. to succeed from the union. It's just like it's just, it's, <laughs> like that's like everyone that knows that. Man, there's this extreme pride and like Texas is just a weird dynamic. So anyway, yeah. I love my time when I was there, but I knew once that God was calling me to plant a church, mm-hmm. I knew he was going to leave Texas. I was like, okay, let's get out of Texas. Mm. But most of the people were in Texas are from the South, and so we was just like, all right, where's a place where we can get back to kind of the South with West Coast or East Coast or where these worlds collide. And Atlanta was that place. I mean, it was the place that had, it was a young vibe. It was mm. multi-ethnic, multi-cultural, multi, I mean, worlds were colliding, largest international airport. It was the hip hop capital of the world. It yeah. was, it, it just seems like, and there was a guy named Crawford Loretz who was basically, um, who's been a spiritual mentor to me. He mm-hmm. says, if you come to um, Atlanta, we'll be a covering and we will help you launch this church. Yeah. And so, all those things is kind of God kind of factors, sort of like that book Outliers uh, mm-hmm. you know, by Malcolm Gladwell. It's mm-hmm. like all these factors that seem, and it just seemed like the Lord was just lining up the stars yeah. for us to move to Atlanta. Yeah. So when you got there, did it did it meet expectations? Oh yeah, it succeeded. You know, all, all my wife immediately. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. It me- I mean, like I knew I was in the place where I was supposed to be. I, yeah. I mean, I just knew it. It was. Like I, to this day, I'm, I'm living in the old fourth ward, and I'm just like, man, I, I'm I am where God wants me to be. This is like the favor, the the like at home, the man, the the challenges, mm-hmm. the frustrations, the this <laughs> all of it is just mm-hmm. kind of like ah, like I'm I'm loving life, I'm loving the things, but I'm also seeing my depravity, and I'm seeing my um, my 
insecurities and I'm seeing just my inability to, to change people's hearts and things like all those things and all those frustrations. So with God's favor, but also the frustrations and my own human limitations and all these things is just, but it's just kind of like, but I'm in the struggle that I know that God has been shaping me for since birth. You seem like someone who wouldn't have been happy if it was easy. No, I mean, it's not that it's easy. I mean, I would praise the Lord if I can go and I can just speak to anybody and they would just, you know, what must I do to be saved? You'd be happy with that? Hey, if the more I mean, I guess it's hard to not be happy with that. Yeah, come to know the Lord and like... Because obviously it's God's favor. I mean, mm-hmm. it's I mean because the bottom line is some plants, some water, but only God brings the increase. Some, so I mean, obviously anybody would love seasons mm-hmm. of just the harvest, Easy. seeing the harvest literally be plentiful. Right. But um, yeah, but it is. I mean, I, just like anything. I mean, you know, former athlete, all that. You know, I, I'm not. I want a a little challenge. Mm-hmm. I want. I do want to to see the, you know, the Goliaths of the world. And so yes, I mean. I will take easy moments. I, I love easy moments, but uh, you know I'm not looking for a fight. But at the same time, I'm not afraid of it either. Right. Yeah. And I I, I remember like the big thing about Atlanta was just fear of driving in it. Oh. Fear. That was our experience. Oh. Okay. Well, you know, I, well I lived on one. I live on in the neighborhood of one of those streets that used to be mm-hmm. like like it's sort of like Samaria. Go around uh, this yeah. this neighborhood. You don't go. But now, I mean, it's one of the one of the top hitting cities um, neighborhoods awesome. in Atlanta, the yeah. old fourth ward is Martin Luther King's neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. So it has the largest section eight housing, but it also has the largest live work place. So huh. it's gentrification at its finest. Right. Right uh, there. Uh, so what do you, Oh, talk about that gentrification in its finest. Yeah. So what, so it's good gentrification is what you're saying. Oh, I mean, it is gentrification. I mean, different people are all over the scale of what is good and what is bad. Right. Gentrification. It seems like the, one of the most complex subjects. Oh yeah. And I think it is. About. What I love about our situation is that, it, yeah, there is gentrification taking place. Mm-hmm. But what people don't realize about the gentrification taking place in the is that we have a privately owned um, company, Wingate Management, mm-hmm. and they own um, what we call the Bedford Pines community. Yeah. And they still have 16 or 17 years left on their lease with the city. Mm-hmm. So for 16 to 17 more years, it's not going anywhere. Mm. So it's not going to just push out. Where in some places, because it's not privately owned, it's government, they just kind of move it out. Yeah. When the city, all right, we'll sell the bit, let's just push it out. But this is different and it's unique. Mm-hmm. So I know... You know, as a church, we just said, like, we need to move here because at the time it was 20 years when, we, when my wife and I moved into the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. 20 like, years ago? No, it was um, four years ago. Oh, okay. But we said we have about three or four, we have 20 years. Oh, I see. The, time, the, lease the lease was, was a, 20 yeah. years. Mm-hmm. We said we have 20 years to show that the answer to gentrification is not just simply relocating the poor, mm-hmm. but it's the gospel yeah. made visible through the local church. Wow. And so we just wanted to embody and embrace the communities of not just the inner city community and the indigenous community, but also the gentrified community. And so that it's, it's the gospel that, the, that through Christ, he's the one who tears down the dividing walls and, and brings us together. And so that's really what we do. That's why we moved in the neighborhood. That's why we're there. And that's, we are a part to, to some degree, we are a part of the gentrifying because we go in, we got a nice home mm-hmm. in the middle of two section eight houses. And <laughs> so we are a part of it. So it can't be like, I hate gentrification. All gentrification right. is bad because I am gentrifying. You're contributing. I'm contributing. But at the same time, you know, it's not. A, it's about me becoming indigenous to in the neighborhood. I send our kids to the to the school. We are part of it. We're in the local schools. We're in the. We're in it. We're in the neighborhood. This is our neighborhood. Our goal is that we want fifty percent of our church to be able to walk to church. You know, so we 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 want to take responsibility in that neighborhood and you know allow the neighborhood's problems to be our problems. Yeah, yeah. So that's really. So I love it. I mean, we're there. We're, you know challenged by all the challenges that are in the neighborhood, but we love what we're doing. How does the gospel impact the results of imp- gentrification? Like how, what is the concrete result of the gospels, the gospel taking root there the way you hope it will? Well, I think that the concrete um, application of it is the gospel made visible is the local church. I'm in 100% agreement. There's a book called Mark Devereaux called the gospel made visible. Yeah. And I think it's the local church. You know, people always talk about where well, you're the only gospel that people are ever going to ever see. Really the gospel is news, right? And it's yeah. good news. And so if, if you came in 
you know, and you say, hey, Dad, I have great news that there's a certain demeanor, there's a certain posture, there's mm-hmm. a certain hope, there's a certain like desire to want to share this good news with mm-hmm. me. And that would emanate in your life, yeah, in your posture, in your presentation. And so the gospel made visible is that the group of people who have been tra- transformed and changed by the gospel that are being present in a community and just basically desiring to share this good news, not only to others, but to be able to express that good news through their own personal walk and their own personal testimony. Mm-hmm. So I think it is us being the local church. And I think that's what the Bible says. The world will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. Yeah, It doesn't say because of your love for them. Right. It says because of your love for one another. And I think what the biggest way that we can express the gospel is having a healthy local church mm. of people genuinely loving one another. And once they love one another, that people are just like, man, they, they, they genuinely love one another. Yeah. And that's becomes enticing, you know, and that people are drawn to it. And Yeah. There's also like a nice sustainability yeah. to that model. Like yeah. I feel like a lot of times if you're focused on going out, which is good focus, right. but like if that's your main focus, a lot of times like the church churns, right. right? There's a churn in the church where people get lost or whatever, and or that can happen. Yeah, and fatigue, and yeah. you know, and that's that's the thing. And so we talk about three relationships in our church that we need to constantly cultivate. We need mm-hmm. to cultivate our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. We have to cultivate our relationship with other believers. Mm-hmm. In the body of Christ, specifically in the, in our church, we need to cultivate that, and then finally, we need to cultivate our relationships with our neighbors, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're not creating anything new. Basically, it's gospel family mission, yeah, right, up in out, and I think all of those three relationships are things that we have to be critical in cultivating. But it's all about those relationships, and then we have our fourth print, our fourth kind of core um, aim is is that we need to aim to be generous stewards where we are managing all of God's time, talent, and treasure that has been given to us to cultivating those other three relationships. And so really that that stewardship of those of our time, talent, and treasure is not an aspect of the Christian life or a subcategory of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. Mm. And so how we do that. And so that is, and so we try to think about intersection, not addition. We try to think through like Every platform is a platform for the gospel. It's a platform for relationship in one of those three. Right. That and so that is a critical piece um, of what we do. So that it's not necessarily fatigue. It's not about activity, but it's about our identity. Mm-hmm. This is who we are. Yeah. You know, this is what the gospel makes us. And so we do. We really try to address that and make it. Uh, you know. Um, that that our identity informs our activity and not the opposite. You know, so that people because. You're going to be doing stuff, period. I mean, you're going to do stuff. Why, why don't we just kind of put that on the centrality of the gospel, you know, in the context of family and all on mission? I think the problem is, is that we we think about church activities, and that's what people get fatigued of. Yeah. It's yeah. just simply church activity. Right. But if you are the church, and you, so it's like, do you ever get fatigued of being, you know, what's your last name? Clark. Clark. Like a being of Clark? No. No, because that's your identity. You are a Clark. <laughs> yeah. It is, you yeah. Know, there's nothing you can do. And there's certain things that Clarks do because yeah. of how you guys were raised and your family dynamic and all that. And that is emanating both good and bad, but it's reality. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, me. I, I am a Lewis. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, and so the thing is that we are Christians. Mm-hmm. Period. And if we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, then they're just, you know, it's not limited to a time and a space. Mm-hmm. It should just emanate out of me because this is my identity. And there's certain things because of the way we've been raised and we've been bought and we've been paid for and we've been, that should manifest itself. Right. So it shouldn't draw fatigue. But the problem is that we put too much emphasis on activity yeah. that's other than life. And we try to draw this dichotomy. There's a distinction. Yeah. yeah. And this is not, and I'm just like, that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I just think we start creating categories that the Bible's not creating. Did you ever doubt your calling? Oh man, did I doubt my calling? I don't know what that means, but, <laughs> but I mean, I, I kind of, of course, do I? Do I at yeah. times, I was like, can I just go be a, a football coach or a basketball coach? Yeah, uh-huh. I would just love some many times. But the thing is that, like, is that my calling? See, and this is kind of why I'm talking about. I don't know what that means. My call is to make disciples. Period. Everything else is a platform to do that. As a pastor, I make disciples. But if I was going in coaching, I would still be making yeah. disciples. Yeah. Regardless of what I do, I would be making disciples. Everything else is just how I get paid mm-hmm. to do it. 
than the platform that I'm using to do it. Whether I'm bivocational, and that's like Paul. Sometimes Paul made tents. Sometimes he asked me, you know, support from the church. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he was an apostle going and making disciples. Yeah. And so when you talk about McCall, I think as believers, we have to differentiate the difference between how we make a living mm-hmm. and our life. Right. How we make a living can change. They say the average American changes every three to five years their career. Yeah. My identity is not in how I make a living. That's just how I'm making a living. My life is about being a born-again son of Jesus who is a part of the family business, and that family business is to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the world. Mm-hmm. It's a goal to make disciples of all nations, and so this is what the family business is. So that's what my calling is. Yeah. So do I doubt my calling? No, because that's my call is to make disciples. Whether I'm a pastor next year uh-huh. or not, I don't know. That's up to the Lord and how he wants to decide how he's going to continue to make my living. Right. I got to be, you know, Second Thessalonians says, if you don't work, you don't eat. So yeah. I got to make my living. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of what I mean. And I just think that oftentimes as a believers, we got to start, we got to stop. We got to put things in, our, in their correct categories. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, but yeah, but if you're asking me, have I at many times wanted to quit being a pastor? Yes. Uh-huh. Have I at many times wanted to quit being a missionary? I work with the North American Mission Board. Yes. Have I many times wanted to quit? Yes. What brings that on? Fatigue, people, mm-hmm. frustrations, like wanting to be my own man. Like I'm tired of, yeah. you know, I want to be my own boss. I want to do my own thing. Sin. This is a struggle for anyone who works for institutions, right? Like you, there is so much that feels unnatural. But you know why it feels unnatural is because of sin. It doesn't feel unnatural because institutions are bad. Yeah, yeah. it feels unnatural because I don't want to submit to anything. I want right, to. I right. want to be my own lord and king. Yeah. So a lot of times people feel like, oh, this feels unnatural. This is this feels forced. No, it feels forced because we don't want to submit to anything. We want to be the captain of our own souls. But that's the spirit of the antichrist. Huh? Is it possible to do something? Not tied to institutions. That's not. Well, what's the institution? The body of Christ is an institution. Mm, yeah. So as long as you're grounded in that. You're, you're the body of Christ. But what, what does it mean to be grounded? That means we got to look at the Bible and it says that we're submitting to elders, yeah. authority over us. Yeah. So that's an institution. Right. So you can't get away from institutions. Unless you. I mean, what is. I mean, you can. Tell me what is. I mean, you can. You but can check can out be, from the church, right? You can check out from the local church. So, and that's the thing is if you check out from the local church, the question is this. In First John, it says, they used to be of us, but they're no longer with us. They're not mm. of us anymore. And he said, what do you call them? He said, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. Mm. Yeah, People, the body of Christ is about, Christ says his, his sole mission is to seek and to save the lost. You're lost because you're not with, mm-hmm. right? The 99, does he not leave the 99 to get the, the one so he can bring them back? He don't just keep them out there with the 99. No, he go gets the one lost sheep yeah. to bring it back to the fold. Yeah. He doesn't just leave it out there. I just, I'm glad I found you. Stay out here. Don't, don't worry about coming back to the night. No, you got to come back, right? Because you're going to remain lost if you stay out there. Yeah. So, if if you if we're saying that that's institution, coming back to the 99, then I don't I don't think there's a category for you as as a uh, Christ follower. Mm-hmm. What like what, what I don't think there is a category um, because he is here to reconcile. Us when the God, the very essence of our, the sin, separated us in those relationships, separated our relationship with God, yeah, but also separated our relationship with Adam and Eve, with with us, with one another. The Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone. So there's something about institution, the very institution of marriage. Does anybody say, <clears throat> oh, this is a problem with this institution, mm-hmm. the institution of family, mm-hmm. nuclear family? Oh, there's a problem. I mean, no, we all want that. What we don't want is people telling us what to do. What mm-hmm. we don't want is I want to be the captain of my own soul. What we don't want is have to consider others more important than ourselves. Yeah. And that's the very essence of the sanctification process. So I I just, you know, I think it feels unnatural to us because we're sinful mm-hmm. and we don't. And what's natural to us a lot of times is sin. Yeah. You know, but also, but we also know that there's something in our soul, in our spirit that is just like yearning for deep community, deep right. relationships. And that comes through covenantal commitment to one another. That even when you see the worst of me, I'm not going anywhere. When I see the worst of you, you're not going anywhere. I want I want to be loved. I want to be redeemed. I want to feel that unconditional agape love. And that only comes through commitment, relationship, through institution. Yeah. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture. 
In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. I'm going to nerd out a little bit because I think we're on the same page about this and I want to go a little deeper. So, um... I think you're. I think you're right, but I think sometimes have a, people have a hard time committing to those institutions, not because they're sinful, or half because let's just say half because they're right. sinful, and the other half because um, the church is not healthy or mm-hmm. it doesn't convey. You can trust us. Amen. Do you? How do you convey those things to your uh, to your churchgoers? Well, I, I think the. The very essence of the gospel is not perfection. The goal of Christianity is not perfection. Mm-hmm. It's not a fight for perfection. It's a fight against isolation. Yeah. Sin brings us isolated. So what I'm saying is, is that every institution is not perfect. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you, you're not going to find a perfect partner to marry. You're not going to find a perfect boss to work for. If you were the boss, you're not going to be perfect. So and as soon as you talk about any institution relationship, there's going to be imperfection in it. Mm-hmm. That is the reason, that is the part, that's the very essence of how we God is using us to sanctify us. Yeah. So at the very core of the gospel is us dealing with imperfection. And despite of that, that's why we talk about grace and mercy and gentleness and patience and kindness. And it's the fruit of the spirit to people who are not deserving of grace and mercy and patience and kindness. So, yeah, the, the institutions are very imperfect. Um, because you and I are running the institutions, right. you know, we're we're the ones that are involved in the marriages, involved in the. So yes, and I think that's a big reason why people are not wanting to be a part of institutions. But to still to run away from them is to run away from relationships and mm-hmm. to run away from our calling. Yeah. So, so yes, I would agree with you that in an instance of institutions are bad and and that's why a lot of people are not doing it. But we are a part of a body, and if there's cancer in the knee then there's cancer in the body. But I, you know, if I'm a thumb, I can't cut my thumb off and go put it in the freezer and just think that it's gonna grow and be healthy. Why? Because the bottom line is if a a cut off thumb is gonna eventually die because it has to be connected. So if we disconnect ourselves and think I'm healthy, but the church is not healthy, Mm -hmm. that's an oxymoron because you are a part of the very church. So an unhealthy church is an unhealthy you because that's who your identity what is. Do you, what do you do with someone who has been genuinely burned by the church and is looking for a new church and comes to your church and is just skeptical mm-hmm. or or even like seeing things they don't like or interactions they're worried about? And what do you tell that person well, to, to convey like we care about you in a way that maybe you haven't experienced? Well, I think the biggest thing is, and I don't, actually say this but i take everyone through kind of a process and it's a mental process in my sure. mind i'll be like hey i'm about to take you through this process it's a four <laughs> yeah. step process that they go no but i think a lot of times what we have to do is the way i think about it is is a four step thing mm-hmm. awareness vision strategy and courage okay all right awareness where are you mm-hmm. and i think we got to spend a lot more time as christians seeking to understand before trying to be understood mm-hmm we spend too much time to think, trying to answer questions, but this is we're answering questions that people don't ask. Yeah, you're hurt because you've had a bad experience. Yeah, right. And so we need to address that and just kind of figure out you? what's going on here. Yeah, where are you? Yeah. So, but then we got to understand where you are. And the second thing is, where does God want us to be? Mm-hmm. All right. Where are you? Where does that's vision? Yeah. Where does God want us to be? All right. And so once I understand where I am, where God wants us to be, vision. Then I have the next question is, how do we get there? So that's strategy. Mm-hmm. And we create a plan. All right, how can we help you get there? Mm-hmm. And then we stop for a moment and I start saying, all right, so based upon where you are and where God wants us to be and how we're going to get there, 
what's going to keep us from doing this? Well, I've been church hurt. I burned. I don't trust people. Boom, boom, boom. Well, let's list out the obstacles and the fears mm-hmm. that's going to keep us from addressing where we want, where we, how are we going to get to where we're going to be based upon where we are to where God wants us to be. And now I know how to encourage you, mm-hmm. give you courage to do what you know you need to do yeah. to get to where God wants you to be based upon where you are. And so really, I just think that we just have to take that process. And that's a journey. You know, mm-hmm. how old are you? 34. 34 years old. So you probably got 34 years of experience of hurt, pain, joy, frustration, mm-hmm. different things, you know, situations that immediately <clears throat> I've been burned, I've been frustrated, I, you know, that has created that. And so what I got to do is I got to first know your story, learn about you. Mm-hmm. It's, that's what I'm talking about, cultivating a relationship. It's not about me just coming in and giving you an answer and just thinking that it's going to uh, copy and paste. It's, you know, if you just kind of copy that and paste it into this mm-hmm. search bar, then you it'll take right. you to the exact answer, and then voila. So no, I got to hear your story. How many how many people are at your church? We have three 300 covenant, so you covenant can't, members. So you can't do that with everyone. Right. So who, who so how are you doing that? Well, I would say come to my workshop today okay and, um <laughs> come to our workshop because our listeners won't be at your yeah, workshop don't come to the workshop but i mean i can't unpack it all because it's gonna take yeah yeah it's gonna take a while but, but I mean, do you have like do you do it all or do you no, do you prioritize no. people or do you have you have a uh, elders who sort yes, of mobilize elders, okay. elders so let me just say it this way when i sit before um our new members orientation if you as you or any of your listeners were to come to our church blueprint church mm-hmm. in atlanta georgia if you were to come to our church and you got involved in our church and i would sit before you at a new members orientation cuz you're considering becoming a covenant member at our church mm-hmm. and i would say to you i would say hey you guys i just want you guys to know this is that a call to membership at blueprint church is a call to discipleship mm-hmm. And by you saying that you want to be a covenant member of this church, you're saying that you want to be family mm-hmm. at this church. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be family at this church, then there's a there's there's a give and take relationship mm-hmm. that, that comes. Disciple making is not a ministry of the church, it's the ministry right. of this church. And if you're family, we really take serious to be in a family. So there's a couple of things I want you um, I want you to consider and I want you to know about what we're doing. And I say, I have, I'm married, we have six kids. How many of the kids, I mean, if I were to tell you, man, I'm discipling three out of my six kids, <laughs> would you be like, man, yeah, that's a good dad. <laughs> what if I said I'm discipling four out of my six kids? Oh, man, he's, he's over 50%. Mm-hmm. What if I said five out of the six? That's over 80%. Yeah. Would you be impressed? With five out of my six, if I say five out of my six kids are being disciple, no. Why? Because you said, you know that the only legitimate answer is six out of my six kids. Right. So we have created a system, and this is what I can't go through here, but we have created a system at our church that every covenant member, we are trying to disciple every covenant member. So we talk about every covenant member every single month. We pray for every covenant member every single month. We cr- try to help Every covenant member, because a call to membership is a call to discipleship. So if you were to come to our church and say, Dahadi, I want you to disciple me, I would take in the same consideration that you are saying that, Dahadi, will you disciple me? Mm-hmm. And so we have a system where we appoint elders, we put you in a missional community, we have a whole system that is governed, that is around discipling every covenant member. So we put people in three categories, guest friends or family. Yeah. We want our guests to become friends and our friends to become family. Yeah, And our goal is to be. And so that's, you know, what I would say is we want to make disciple-making the ministry of our church. We yeah. want to be the last generation that has to leave the urban context of sound discipleship. And that's what I go around helping te- teaching urban practitioners to do to disciple their people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, I mean, so that's what I would, that's what I would say, and that's how we do. So that's kind of the short answer right. of how we do commit to every covenant member. So if you were to go to my office, I have every single covenant member on a board. Uh-huh. And I'll literally. Wow. So I'm going to move them around. Does anyone ever wa- walk in and go, hey, why am I over there? Yeah. They always come in. It's, it's the interesting thing when I, I cover the member because I tell them <laughs> this and I tell them the same story when they walk into my office. They're like, oh, this is real. Creepy. Like, you really <laughs> do have my name right there with these people. And, and then it's always it's always fun when they come in and they see their name uh-huh. on a different side of the board and they knew they, their name used to be, why is my name over there? Oh, man. That's and awkward. It's just like, it's, yeah, it's not good that it's over there. Oh, no. uh, it's just that we're talking about you more because of uh-huh. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You know, because that's what we're doing. Like that sets of, the priorities that for sets the elders. The priorities. Yeah. 
Interesting. You know, and so we, we so we have a whole intricate system mm-hmm. that I can't, I, you know, I, I, I would bore you to No, death. that's fascinating. I would bore to you to yeah. death with all the stuff, but I'm just saying that, yeah, yeah. because it's just like, that's the thing, because like six out of six kids have mm-hmm. to be discipled. Because if you if I told you, do you have six kids? You said you have one kid, right? Mm-hmm. I have six kids. How you gonna judge me? You got one. I got six. Mm-hmm. I said, you know how hard it is to disciple six kids. Uh-huh. And then what you would your proper response would be, well, stop having kids. <laughs> and I think that's the same thing. I said, right. if we can't really commit to trying to disciple every covenant member, then stop opening up covenant membership. Yeah, because. God, like, like it's like it's no need to just to build this church. And if you're not discipling, mm-hmm. if you're not raising up, if you're not training, why are we creating these environments and we're not doing anything with them? Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, well, stop having kids. Mm-hmm. And so that's why at our church, what we do is that we raise up and we send out. We planted um, over six churches. Yeah. You know, we've been there for seven years. Wow. And all we do is we raise up and we send six them out. Six churches in seven years. Yeah. We that's raise crazy. them up and send them out. We raise them up and send them out. We raise yeah. them up and send them out. And because it's just like, man, our... Like I'm not trying to be mega. I mean, mm-hmm. not these are not campuses. Mm-hmm. These are just churches. Mm-hmm. We we just like go. Yeah, you know, be responsive. It's the same thing as it's like I have kids. My oldest um, daughter, she's um, 14. She's going into high school, and my wife and I are talking like we have four more years. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a 14, a 13, 11, 10, 9, and eight. And I says, once that starts, every year we're gonna be sending off a kid, sending them off to college, sending them off to military, sending them off somewhere. You know, and so every year for the next years. And so, like, we got to prepare that we got four more years with them and then we're sending them off. Yeah. And so it's the same thing that we're raising you up to eventually one day send you off. And obviously those are going to be times of these grief, but also celebration, because the whole goal is that one day that we're raising you up to a point so that you can be sent off. Yeah. You know, I mean, and we don't, it's hard, and but it's good, and it's exciting, but it's draining, and it's, you know, and then you find you lose your identity. It's just like, all I, I was a parent, now all my kids are gone, I'm empty nesters, mm-hmm. what am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, but that's the joy in the uh, life, and death, and yeah. joy, and pain, and, and that's what it's about. Right. And so, I mean, that's kind of what we're, what, what we're trying to do. What's your biggest struggle? I mean, all of what I'm talking about yeah. is, is living this stuff out. Yeah. I mean, I get fatigued. I'm tired. I'm drained. I'm just like, man, I, can I, like a lot of times I just want to like, man, can I y'all just get away from me? I just want to go preach and then not care about if, if it applies to you or not. Right. You know, but actually, like when you go in and you start talking like this, that people are actually going to be concerned. Like they, they take you up on that. Mm, and yeah. so you're just like, oh, yeah. man, like I really got to. They expect it. Yeah, we got to live this out. Mm-hmm. You know, people really have needs. Mm-hmm. Because what you find out is that people genuinely have real needs. Yeah. But they're just hiding them from you. Mm-hmm. And I tell people all the time, if people are not sharing their real needs with you, that means they're, you're not as close as you think you are. Yeah. Right? And so the hardest part is the fatigue, the draining. My wife and I have constant conversations about fatigue and being drained. And, and I know what it means that when Paul was saying, I've been poured out like a drink offering. I'm tired. Huh. It's the you relationships know, that fatigue. It's the relationships. Yeah. It's the re- it was one hundred percent the relationships that fatigue you. And I'm a I used to be an extrovert. I'm a introvert yeah. now. I'm a yeah. like please Lord, just give me a like like a candy crush. Give me something. Just let me just go in a dark room and right. just veg out. Like I am all of those things because I'm drained. I'm fatigued. But every I have to go back to the well and to get replenished. Yeah, you know, and and so all of that is it's a fatiguing, draining thing, but it's so much worth the cost mm-hmm. because it's where life is. Do you have to set boundaries? <sighs> what are boundaries? Oh man, <laughs> I'm gonna take that as a no. Uh, I mean, you do not yes, set boundaries. <laughs> we we uh, know the book and boundaries, and I'm, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, there are boundaries, but I don't know what about like I'm wrestling through that. I'm on sabbatical. I'm technically on sabbatical. Oh, right okay. Now. So but you're here a, doing a workshop. Yes, while well, I'm here doing a workshop. My <laughs> wife says the same thing. I was like, how is this sabbatical? And I was just like, I don't, you know, I'm just like, well, I can't tell Brian Dye to switch to Legacy Conference because of my sabbatical. Uh-huh. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, and it's like, do we stop being Christian when we're setting boundaries? Like what, like when Jesus just got finished preaching, when Jesus just heard heard that his, um, his cousin, John the Baptist, got killed mm-hmm. be- because of some foolishness. Mm-hmm. Like, think about it. Jesus just heard John, his cousin was killed over some foolishness at a party. Yeah. Right? That the yeah. king got drunk and was just like, and his pride is like, oh, cut the head off. Oh, and you know. 
And now, and he's getting off a boat. He's like, man, he's telling his disciples, we got to get away. We need to go process this. We need to go grieve. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, all these people, 5,000 come. And then it's like, hey, Jesus, all these people are here. And it says Jesus had compassion. He was probably setting boundaries. Yeah. And now Jesus is there. It's just kind of like, what am I supposed to do? I guess the I disciples were like, this. Yeah, disciples were like, hey, send him away. Yeah. Get it. But I got a counterpoint because just please, the other day, this is maybe this is maybe like uh, this is meant to be because just the other day I was working uh, through well I was discussing with my our community group about like Jesus. Uh, the, there's a passage where it talks about how Jesus had to preach, mm-hmm. and he was uh, he was um, he was surrounded by people, and yet before he preached because he knew he had to preach later. He went to the desolate place. Yeah. He, at, at, despite tons of people telling right, him, right. "Please stay in our town," right. because they respected him, not because mm-hmm. they were trying to mess with him, because right. they wanted to hear what he had to say. Right. But he had to turn that opportunity down because he knew. I'm assuming because he was human. The thing that struck me is like mm-hmm. he had to sleep, so surely he also had to like recharge emotionally and. Uh, yeah, and I mean, that's what I'm saying. I, the fact that he was trying to get away yeah. establishes the fact that we need to have boundaries. I mean, the mm-hmm. fact that we have Sabbath rest. The you know, because this work, I, I have to recognize, and we all have to recognize that this work is not dependent on us. Part of the Sabbath rest. And part of under, even understanding the Sabbath yeah. is the recognizing that this work is not about our work, but it's his work. Yeah. And Sabbath for us is is a faith act, recognizing that even when I'm resting, God is still at work. Right. And so it is just as much for us as it is um, for the rest of the fatigue and all those things. Yeah. And so I, I get it. And I think that we need to have Sabbath. And we, but I, I am. I'm seriously wrestling with what does that mean? Do I stop being Christian when people have needs? Yeah. Do like what 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 does that do I what am I resting from? Am I resting from meeting people's needs? Am I resting from like if I see it, I don't care. I'm like, ah, uh-huh. you know, like what what, yeah. what am I resting from? Yeah. Do I kind of put my ears like what am I doing? So so I, I How so strong should those boundaries be? How strong should the boundaries yeah. be? And, and the thing is that they're always needs. So I do know. So sometimes I do have to cut my phone off. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I go home, I cut my phone off, and I have to, I'm, I'm here with my. You family. do do that when you get home. Yeah, I mean, I do that. Well, that's I, a ba- that's a real boundary. That's a boundary. I yeah, mean, but if someone comes and knocks on my door, right? Well, that yeah, that makes sense to me because you, you know it's saying? big if someone knocks on your door. But so is it like how thick is the boundary? Yeah. So yeah, so I, so I do have boundaries, and I do do things. Mm-hmm. You know, I have people living in my house. We always have people living in our house, mm-hmm. so we we have that, but. With people living in our house, we have a boundary would be we have a second floor and we don't let people come up to the second floor. So to some degree, that's a boundary, but people are living in our house. So it's kind of like, yes, we have boundaries, but how thick are the boundaries? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think every Christian should have boundaries, but I think we can't go too far and make boundaries and Sabbaths and rest our idols. Yeah. What is your deepest fear? Death. Honestly. Really? Yeah. I mean, when you just ask me, I think death is one of my greatest fears. Okay. And it's the, something that leads me to the cross consistently. Because I start, I think, and I wrestle with, Lord, if this is, what if all this is not real? Faith. Huh. Wow. And I wrestle and I struggle and I think about this, Lord, the isolation and all of this. And like, this is it, we're just going to nothingness. And, you know, yeah. and I was just like, and every time that I have to remember that Jesus conquered death and the resurrection and I yeah. have to go and that's my, that's my faith journey and my fear and I, and I go and I wrestle and I wrestle and I is is that is this like Lord it's a constant thing that I'm constantly recognizing that either this this stuff is real mm-hmm. or it's not yeah you know and so I mean yeah not a lot of Christians say that they're afraid of death like they put a face on it well, because they I know because they like know thing, what's yeah. gonna happen. Suddenly, it erases all the. And I know, and I know theologically, and I know all the stuff, and yeah. I and I believe it, and I agree with it, and all those things. But I mean, it is. I mean, why is I, it more like? Why is it a bigger deal for you? You think? I don't know. I mean, I honestly, don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things. I mean, it it is it, just one of those things that I'm just trying to figure out. I mean, like, yeah. And again, it's the thing that keeps me on my knees. Mm-hmm. It's the it thing. draws you to Christ. It draws me to Christ. It keeps me. Um, it's it's where the fear, but the fear leads me to faith. Hope more times than not. Yeah. Then it leads to me to, con- to control. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times fear is a natural thing. It's just to let you know that you're not in control. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what fear is. Yeah. It's fear that there's danger around. Right. And you're not in control. 
It's just kind of like when there's turbulence on the airplane. Like I don't, I'm not in control. I'm not driving up there. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I'm putting my faith in this pilot that yeah. he's gonna ease the ship. Yeah. You know, I don't. I'm putting my trust. And so it's just kind of like I'm constantly reminded. It's, it's a reminder to let me know I'm in danger. And it just like when I'm when I get those feelings of fear, I just turn to the cross. I turn to the resurrection that he experienced death and God raised him from the dead. And that that's where I'm because I'm in him. He's going to do the same for me. And so I just put my confidence in that. So hopefully most of my fear, the scariest thing, leads me to greater faith in the person and work of Christ. But sometimes it can lead you to control and, you know, and anxiety. And so it's just kind of like, let me try to control my circumstance. Let me put myself in a place where I'm not going to die. And it's just like, that's not. So I just recognize, okay, that's not going to happen. So I know I'm going to die. I know it's going to happen. And so it leads me to to, fear, to faith. So it's just kind of like you asked me what the scariest thing is, and I was like, "That's that's the first thing that came to my mind." No, that's a great answer. Yeah. Um, if you could step into a time machine, go back in time, and introduce yourself to yourself, what would you say? What year can I go go Any back to? Year. Oh man, oh ah, you know it's funny. It's not gonna be spiritual. That's fine. <laughs> the, I would go back to my um, middle school or high school football playing days. Mm-hmm. And I would just download all the information about work ethic and huh. playing hard and understanding and just the fruit and not seizing the moment. And yeah, it just it, w- it would be that that time. Yeah, you know, and I and I would just talk about that thing. And I was just talking about man how to integrate faith and work. And I, even though I, man, I would talk to him about myself about Christ because I wasn't thinking about him then, mm-hmm. you know. But I don't know if my 13 and 14 year old self would listen to even me right during that time so i was just like hey man christ is so central yeah you know but i know i would listen to my football self and you know it's just like <laughs> yeah. i listen to yeah. that side of myself so you've been listening to the calling dahati lewis is the lead pastor of blueprint church and the executive director of community restoration with the north american mission board You can find him on Twitter at D-H-A-T-I. That's at D-H-A-T-I. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes. It warms our hearts. The Calling is produced by me and Morgan Lee. It's edited by Jonathan Clausen. Theme music by Lee Rosevere used under Creative Commons 4.0.